Hey guys, thanks for joining me. This is chapter three of Pee Wee Gaskin's autobiography. Uh, I don't feel like I have to get into detail about what's entailed and the things he did. He was a sick, sick serial killer from the area where I grew up. Luckily, this, I mean, not luckily, but um, thankfully not during my time back in the 50s. 50s, 60s. God, I hope that went to gunshot, y'all. This is always interesting, sitting on my balcony, downtown Albuquerque. Kind of, kind of Albuquerque crazy sometimes. Anyway, um, yeah, from the area where I grew up, so that makes it especially extra chilling. Also, since it is my favorite time of year, that's Halloween. I want to crank out some more um, stuff for you guys. I am a very busy lady. I will be going back to nursing school soon. What? Am I crazy? I'm trying to build my business on the side. Be a good mom and wife and all the stuff. So, but this is my passion project, you guys. I just feel compelled to share the stories and um i hope you will share yours if you feel compelled to as well remember you can always stay anonymous we can record a conversation um it can be anything you want it to be i also really would love to use this platform if anyone has a missing loved one and would like to speak with me I've been in a situation before where a loved one went missing in a foreign country and it turns out they were murdered in a very, very fucking horrendous way. And um, I'm not sure if I'll share that story or not. I need permission from the family, I feel like, first. And uh, I've reached out, but I haven't heard back. That's something I will not push, but um, that was like a national story a few years back. So I have a my heart goes out to anyone who's going through that. It wasn't, it was only about a week, but when someone's missing and you just don't have that conclusion, God, I can't, I can't. It's just horrible. So like I said, if you know anybody or if there's any other very important message of positivity or story you feel like you need to share, please reach out to me. That's why I'm here. Love you guys. Enjoy. Welcome back, friends, or welcome for the first time. Either way, 
Thank you for joining me today as I continue to read the autobiography of Mr. Pee Wee Gasly Chicken Fucker Gaskins. So, we left off at chapter two. Today, I take you into chapter three. They didn't send me far. The South Carolina Reform School for Boys was located on National Cemetery Road, east of the town of Florence, only a few miles from Leo, where I grew up. With its dormitories, the school buildings, separated by hedges and gardens and pastures, it looked more like a farm college campus than a prison. There weren't no towers or guns, not many guards. The supervisors assigned us to classes like carpentry, mechanics, and metalworking to teach us a trade. And after classes, they put us on work details in the fields and barns. We got demerits if we sassed the overseers or broke the rules, which weren't all that unreasonable. I probably wouldn't have gotten along all right there if the things that went on at night had been different. Between supper time and Reveal, dormitory doors were locked from the outside, and unless a fire alarm sounded, they weren't opened for any reason. Once we was locked inside, we had to take showers, and that's when the older boys took their pick of the new boys, and the biggest of the older boys got first choice. The biggest one in our dorm was Poss. He was over six feet, weighed more than 200 pounds. First evening in the showers, he walked up to me and said he wanted me to come to his bed after lights out. I said, what for? And he told me he was going to fuck me. But the rule book they had gave us when we first got there said real plain, any boy caught doing what they called unnatural sex acts would be put in isolation and severely punished. And I took that to mean that I didn't have to let Poss do what he wanted because it was against the rules. So I didn't go to his bed like he told me to, and he didn't come to mine. Next day, while we was in the shop learning auto mechanics, which I already knew more than about the teacher, nobody hardly talked to me. At lunch and supper breaks, Poss didn't even look at me, so I reckon that meant everything was okay. That evening, I found out how wrong I was. In the shower room, six boys grabbed me and spread-eagled me face down on the tile floor. One held each arm, one held each leg, and one sat in front of my face and slid forward until his hard-on rubbed against my nose. Then Poss lay down on my back, put a knife blade against my neck, and said that if I hollered, he'd cut my throat, and he made me open my mouth for the sitting boy's hard-on, and I felt Poss's soapy dick ram my ass. Quick as he finished, another boy took his place, and the hard-on came in my mouth, and as soon as I swallowed, another one took its place. Thinking back on it, I figured that in less than one hour, I was gang-raped by at least 20 boys. Most of them took seconds in my mouth. I had never felt anything like that in my life. When they finally was done with me, I was so sore I couldn't move. I heard Poss tell two boys to carry me back to my bunk. Once I was there, he leaned over me and said that I had two choices. Either I could do whatever he wanted me to, whenever he wanted me to, 
or he would see to it I got gang raped real regular. I could have gone to the supervisor's office the next morning and reported what had happened, and Paz, all the others would have been punished, and then I would have been put in what they call the protective detention, which meant that every night I would be locked in one of the solitary isolation cells called the holes, where I would have been safe from any more raping. But I had heard about them holes. They was dark and damp and didn't have no running water or toilet, just a bucket, and I wouldn't have nobody to talk to, no radio to listen to, or nothing. Well, let me tell you that being gang raped in the shower made it plain to me. Sex was probably the most important thing in reform school. I learned later that they called it the pecker order, meaning the big ones fucked the littler ones, so I decided I would be best off accepting things the way they was. Doing anything Poss wanted would be a hell of a lot easier than either getting gang raped two or three times a week or living in protective detention. That turned out to be partly true. Poss liked to suck, and he got so excited when I came in his mouth, he didn't last a full minute in my ass, which I could tolerate. And he liked me to sit on the foot of his bunk and tell him stories about the Trouble Trio, and he admired that I knew all about cars and how things worked. He especially liked it when I fixed an old radio that had been thrown in the trash by the supervisor's wife. It would have been brand new tubes, but nobody could make it work. As soon as I opened it, I saw that the tuner wires was snapped, and I had it fixed in 10 minutes, and I gave it to Poss to keep next to his bed. After that, I was Poss's right-hand man in our dorm, and when new boys came in, he sometimes shared them with me. Poss said he was partial to me because I was so little, my dicks looked big compared to the rest of me. Of course, he was called Boss Poss Hoss because his cock was so damn big. The only his real bad problem that developed between me and Poss was that him being boss boy in our dorm, he made deals with the boss boys of other dorms, trading favors for cigarettes or whatever. One of the things boss boys traded to each other was little old boys like me. I never knew that I was going to be told to go somewhere and strip or blow or ream or get rammed or whatever by whoever Pawson made another deal with. If I hadn't been for that pecker order trading, I would have made out okay with life in reformatory school. But as it was, things was just too rough, so I started making plans to run away. I said run away instead of escape because, like I said, there weren't hardly any guards there. Doors were locked at night, but leaving in the daytime would be easy as just walking away when nobody was looking. Still, I wasn't absolutely sure. So I took my time getting things all set up. I picked four other boys I knew who was also always being traded and we decided that Sundays was the best day to run because that was the visitor's day. My mama came to see me every Sunday and she could get my asshole stepdaddy to drive her. Sometimes one of my little half-sisters or half-brothers come with her. She always brought food, fried chicken, cornbread, one or two veggies, iced tea, banana pudding, 
Stepdaddy never came in. He stayed in the damn car and waited. When an hour went by, he started blowing that damn horn, meaning he was ready to leave. It was right after one of Mama's visits, when I'd been at the reformatory just over a year, that me and one of them four boys ran away, each armed with a knife stole from the mess hall. The next afternoon, we got cornered in the woods by chain gang guards and was put in a dump truck and took to police chief Benny Coleman's house in the town of Pamplico. He ordered us strip search before him being took back, but just when they got to me, I jumped off the truck and ran like a scalded dog. I didn't think they'd shoot me in the back end. They didn't. I made my way cross county to the hideout. Staying off the roads, it took me two days to get there. I was tired and hungry, went to sleep in the room that me and Danny and Marsh called our headquarters. I woke up the next day by a hard kick on my butt, and it was Florence County Deputy Sheriff Ray Shoup Sr. who knew about the hideout, figured that's where I would head off to. He made me take off my clothes for a strip search, and my knife fell out of my pocket, and he drew his pistol and cocked it and said, Pee-wee, I could blow a hole clean through you and say you attack me with that knife. Nobody would doubt my word. If you ever run again, you best do things a little smarter. Then he uncocked his pistol. I got dressed, and he handcuffed me. I was the most scared I'd ever been in my life. But then Deputy Shoup acted real nice, and I knew he was just trying to teach me a lesson. He even took me by his house to eat some lunch before he took me back to the reformatory. The supervisor superintendent was pleased to see me back, but was sorely pissed off that I had a chance to run away. He sentenced me to 30 strope lashes, plus hard labor isolation for three months. The stroping was bad, but at least it was over in a few minutes. The hard labor isolation was a hell that seemed like it was never gonna end. Work details started at 4.30 a.m., mopping the damn offices and classrooms, then mopping the mess hole, cleaning the breakfast cooking pots, pans, eating in a hurry, and then washing all those breakfast dishes, then peeling potatoes for lunch and going outside to start the real hard work, digging those damn trenches. Those trenches was the worst part of all. No matter how hot or cold, rain or dry, every day, all day, we dug trenches four foot wide, four foot deep by 100 foot long. When we reached the end, we went to a trench that had been dug months before and we filled it in. Soon as we got finished filling it in, we were marched to a new place and we started a new trench. We was given a 10 minute break every two hours for water and a piss, then went right back to work. If we slacked or sassed or even talked, we was rid up to get stroke lashes. We stopped digging a half hour for lunch. Then we washed all the lunch dishes, swabbed the mess hall, went straight back to trench digging until supper. Thanks y'all for sticking with me after that short break. So if you're here, then let's pick it up and continue from where we left off last time I was reading. So now we are currently in chapter three. And Pee-wee, he has run away from the reformatory school. He has got caught in the hideout in the woods. Now listen, y'all, this is a recurring thing 
Peewee is real, real good at living off the land and hiding out, doing all those things. But anyway, to bring you up to date currently, he done got caught. They strip searched him, a knife fell out, and he is back at the reformatory school. And they whooped his ass, y'all. Like, like, whatever stropes are, I guess y'all can Google it. But anyway, I've just been shooting the shit because Google Docs, it's like, did you guys know I read this book in high school? It probably costs less than $10. Actually, a friend gave it to me. It was free. I gave it back to him. Shout out. Thanks, Trent. But anyway, y'all, it is now. Look up the price of Pee Wee's autobiography. What the fuck? What in the hell, you guys? It is like $300. Isn't that nuts? What? 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 No, I'm serious. What? So you're welcome, y'all. This is a free podcast. It don't cost y'all nothing. I never, never charge y'all, ever, never will. Hey, I just want you to know that. I just want you to know that. Because I love you guys. And I wouldn't be doing this if nobody weren't listening y'all be listening so thank you guys and you know what you're listening all over the damn world over 15 countries right now that blows my motherfucking mind keep the air horn you guys that makes me so happy so so happy so thank you because in the time that I have been bullshitting with you guys, I am back. It is loaded. Here is the free, goddamn, way too expensive autobiography. Let's pick it up right now. The supervisor and superintendent was pleased to see me back, but was sorely pissed off that I had chose to run away. He sentenced me to 30 stroke lashes plus hard labor isolation for three months. Stroping was bad, but at least it was over after a few minutes. Hard labor isolation was a hell. Seemed like it never wasn't going to end. Work details started 4.30 a.m. Mopping the offices and classrooms. Then mopping the mess hall, cleaning the breakfast, cooking pots and pans, eating in a hurry washing all the breakfast dishes, peeling potatoes for lunch, then going outside to start the real hard work. Digging them damned trenches. Digging them goddamn trenches was hard. They was the worst of all, no matter how hot or cold, rain or dry, every day, all day. We dug those trenches four foot wide, four foot deep, 100 foot long. When we reached the end, we went to a trench that had been dug months before and we filled it in. As Soon as we got finished filling it in, we were marched to a new place, started a new trench. 
we was given a 10 minute work break every two hours for water and a piss. And then we went back to work. If we slacked, sassed, or even talked, we got rid up to get stroke lashes. We stopped digging a half hour for lunch. We washed all the lunch dishes while mess hall went straight back to trench digging until summertime. God damn, that sounds terrible. After supper, we washed dishes, swabbed the mess hall again. If we didn't do a slam up job of washing and swabbing or said anything out of line, we got rid up for that too. But then it was usually after dark and we was marched to isolation where we had to swab the halls and clean our cells. Ah, yeah, you're in fucking hell. In the deep hell. Then we went to the showers. When we come out, we lined up naked and the guards read the list of those writ up and for what and how many stroke lashes they was due. Each one went out to the hall outside the shower room, grabbed his ankles and took his stroke. That's what I'm talking about after a long day of the trenches and whatnot. And what I'm talking about wasn't just well, well raising lashes. They was blood bringing whippings. That reminds me of everybody from the South. Gonna get a whipping. Go pick your switch. If you're from the South, you know what that means. For my people in other countries, go pick your switch means you done fucked up and you're gonna pick your beating stick out basically i had a um when i was at daycare the lady this is you know late 80s and through the early 90s lady had a um a flip-flop nailed to a switch it had a hole in it so it could go faster yeah the times have changed y'all okay when stroke time was finished we was given clean work clothes for the next day a bucket for the night and went back to our cells. The light stayed on for a half hour, but by then it was 11 or later and I was asleep on the steel cot in five minutes or less. Yeah, I bet so. One Sunday a month, mama was allowed to visit. We met in the mess hall for an hour. She could bring food to eat then and there, but she didn't leave me nothing for later. She was also allowed to bring me paper, pencils, envelopes, but there wasn't nobody I wanted to write to. That's really sad, you guys. By the time my three months was up, I was ready to get back to Pasa's dorm. Anything was better than the hard labor isolation. Pa said he was pissed off I hadn't told him about my plans to escape, but he seemed happy I was back. It was real nice to me the first few nights I was on his bunk. But before long, he went back to trade me off to other boss boys. Some of them was even meaner than I remembered. They beat on me, even when I did everything they told me to. So I weren't, it weren't long before I was making new plans to run away. I made my next break with one other guy I knew I could trust. Freedom lasted six days. Most of us spent in the woods in the rain before the chain gang guards and them damn bloodhound dogs found us. When I got back to the reformatory, the sentence for running away the second time was 50 stroke lashes and four months hard labor isolation. By the time that was over, I was measuring them damn trenches and miles. 
by the time I got sent back to Pasha Storm, he done finished his time and been released. There was a new boss boy who wasn't so easy to please as Poss had been. He particularly liked to watch gang rapes with me on the bottom. Oh, dear God. I ran away again just as soon as I could manage. It was summer. I decided the best way to do it was alone. I had an aunt who lived on a farm that was out of the way down in Williamsburg County. And I had got word from a cousin she was she might let me stay with her in exchange for doing chores. So that was where I went and stayed for several months. Then one Saturday, my aunt went to Johnsonville to do some shopping. When she come back, a distant relative of my mama's, Weldon Parrott, who was a police officer. They both talked real nice to me for a long time, asked me lots of questions about the reformatory. When I told them about hard labor isolation and being stroked, Weldon said he wasn't going to arrest me, but he thought I ought to go back to the reformatory on my own that he would talk to the superintendent and ask him to go easy on me if I turned myself in. Superintendent Norman Huckabee offered me a deal. No lashes and only 30 days hard labor isolation if I came back on my own. I said, that sounded fair enough. I went back. But as it turned out, the whole deal was bullshit. Once they had me in isolation again, I was rode up every day. Every night I got 20 lashes. After a week, the mill belt strope had cut my ass and back and legs so bad they was covered with running sores. I complained to the night officer, Bert Calcutt, who was not much bigger than me. He asked him to let me go to the infirmary. Instead, he was going to write me up for the 10 extra strope lashes for complaining. That's when the metal inside me boiled over. I hit him once in the stomach, kicked him in the balls, kicked him in the face until he doubled over. He yelled for help and the other two isolation guards came and held me while he beat the hell out of me. Next morning, guards took me out of my cell and manacled me and dragged me to Superintendent Huckabee's office where I was told they was sending me to the state mental hospital on Bull Street in Columbia. Holy shit, I used to work there. Five points, Arian, to have my head examined for attacking Officer Colcutt without no provocation whatsoever. I spent five weeks locked in a solitary cell at the hospital, which looked just like a solitary cell in jail, except the walls was painted white. The only people I saw that whole time was the orderlies that brought my food and took me to showers once a week, once a week. One morning, a nurse come to my cell, led me to a big office with nice furniture, and I spent two hours with the man who said he was one of them psychiatric doctors. He smoked a pipe and it smelled real good. He looked up from some papers in a file, stared me over the top of his wire glasses and didn't say nothing for the longest time. Finally, he asked me if I believed that there was really a God. I said I'd never get it a whole lot of thought, but I reckoned if so many folks went to church and gave money for the Lord's work and all that such, there must be a God. Otherwise, why would they do all that? 
He nodded real slow, wrote something on a blue horse pad. Then he asked me if God ever spoke to me. I said, no, not that I recollected, not personally anyhow. Then he asked me if I heard the voice of God or any other voice telling me to attack that girl with the hatchet. I said, hell no, God didn't have nothing to do with it. That bitch come in with me with a hatchet, I took it away from her and hit her with it to keep her from hitting me. That was all there were to it. That, which was the same thing I told to the law. Then the psychiatrist comp commenced to ask me questions about when I was little, what happened to me then. I told him I didn't rightly remember a whole lot about them early years. Then he asked me why I reckoned it was that I couldn't remember everything that happened to me when I was a child. As I said, as best as I was able to figure, it was probably because I'd been so young at that time. The truth is, I figured anything I did remember was none of his goddamn business, so I didn't even tell him about the carnival and the cobra. Then he asked me why I kept running away from reform school. <clears throat> I told him about the stroping in the trenches, and he said he heard about those things before. He was sure I understood that punishments like that was necessary for maintaining discipline, which was a real big problem at a place such as a reform school. Then we shook hands, and he said we would talk about all these things some more at my next appointment but we never did have no more because the very next night I got this pain in my side like somebody was squeezing my balls in a vice and I started vomiting and yelling and finally an orderly came to see me he called a nurse took me to the infirmary then to a real hospital where they operated on me because I had ruptured my appendix when I got well enough, they sent me back to the reformatory with instructions I was to be on light duty for three months. Only reason I could figure why they didn't send me back to mental hospital was that somebody screwed up and lost my paperwork. In the years ahead, I found out that things like that happen a lot to inmates and their records. Also in the military. What? I didn't say that. At any rate, whatever the reason, I was just as happy not to get sent back to the nut house to see that psychiatrist doctor again and have to answer his crazy-ass questions. At the reformatory, they kept me in isolation cell day and night. After two months of solitary, the thought of digging trenches started sounding appealing to me. At the end of three months, I was told they was planning to send me out again with the work crews. Then this night officer named M.F. Quick come to me, said that because of what I had done to his friend, Officer Calcutt, he was going to write me up for 10 stroke lashes every night after showers, as soon as I was back on labor detail, whether I'd done anything or not. I figured I was fucked, no matter what. So the day I went back to work, I waited until I was sent out of the mess hall to clean garbage barrels. Then I made a run for the hedges and I kept on going. I went to Sumter, a town not too far away from Florence. Pasta told me he stayed near there with his uncle who put together crews to work carnivals and they weren't too particular about who they had hired. I found Pasta's uncle and I found Pas. I got a job being what they call a ruse about, helping set up and take down. My side where I had the ruptured appendix still gave me trouble. 
I got a hernia from all the lifting. So Pasa's uncle, hell of a good man who reminded me a lot of Danny's daddy, got me a job night watching the office wagons. We traveled a route through Florida, back up through Georgia to North Carolina. It was my first growed up freedom and I sure did like it. When we got back to Sumter, I had to be careful where I went. It was 1950 and I was an escapee from reform school, trying to figure out what to do next. I damn sure didn't want to get spotted and picked up by the law. So I laid low at Poss's uncle's house, hardly never went anywhere, except occasionally with Poss to one little town or another to do some shopping or see a movie or eat a burger. It was during them times I met Mary. She was 13 and a half years old and the most beautiful girl I had ever seen in my life. When I was around her, I felt like a combination of a lamb who couldn't bleed and a rhino with a four foot heart on it. I begged her to marry me. She said she didn't want to be married to a boy who was looking, who couldn't even walk down Main Street with her because the law was looking for him. She said I should go back to reform school, finish my sentence, which was just a few more months. Then I would be free to lead a normal life with a wife. But she wanted it understood real clear between us that she wasn't never going to travel with no carnival. She wanted a home and husband and children. If she couldn't have all three, she would do without any until the right man came along. I married Mary on January 22, 1951, and spent one night with her before I surrendered to Johnsonville police officer Clinton Gaskins, who was kin to my real daddy. That's how it is, y'all. He took me back to reform school. Superintendent Huckabee said no lashes, no hard labor, just isolation cell 24 hours a day for the three months on my sentence, except for one morning walk to take a shower and empty my shit bucket. I guess that was when I first started reading serious things like magazines, newspapers, and books. Mary brought them to me. I was allowed to see her 13 and a half years old. My God, what's the process? Okay. Um, Mary brought them to me. I was allowed to see her every Sunday for an hour in the visitor's room of the isolation building. That hour was what I lived for. That hour and knowing that every Sunday meant one less week until I was out and with her. I was feeling so good. I decided it would be fun to try to drive the isolation guards crazy. When I had worked night watching with the carnival, it was my job to carry a ring of keys, check all the doors in the concession wagons. In the process of doing that, I got interested in how locks worked. Before long, I could take them apart and put them back together. I wasn't no first-class locksmith, but I knowed a lot about what a key did to make a lock open. When I was put back in reform school isolation, I looked at the lock on my cell door and I realized I could open that one with my belt buckle. So every evening when the guards came in with the work details, I would be out of my cell, sitting in the hallway, or taking a shower. After lights out, I opened all the cells on the block and let the other guys out. We sat in the corridors and shot the shit. On their rounds, the guards would hear us and come in and put us all back in ourselves. On next rounds, we would be out again. 
Officers questioned everybody on isolation. All they would say was, Pee Wee lets us out, which is what I had told them to say. Finally, Superintendent Huckabee called me to his office, agreed to let me out of isolation for the rest of my sentence if I would stop opening the cells and if I would tell him how I did it. I wouldn't agree until he gave me a note in writing saying what I was supposed to do for him and what he was going to do in return. I wanted to make sure that this deal worked out better than the last one I made with him. This time, he kept his word. Of course, the record keepers fucked up my paperwork, so it was three weeks later that I was supposed, than it was supposed to be when I finally got out. On release day, Mary and Mama and stepdaddy came to get me. I was a free man with a loving wife, and there were no lawmen looking to put me back in jail. I aimed to keep it that way too.